intro we are covering 2001 a space odyssey today yeah we figured you know it's our anniversary we got to do one of those like things that gets parodied all the freaking time um and that would be like 2001 space odyssey so here we go uh but before we get into that we're gonna do our media of the week segment oh and i also have to introduce our guest this week which is my husband andrew hi from hey, pop, andrew. pop culture yeah, i'm so glad to be on your anniversary <laughs> show <I know>. Aww. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so Andrew, as our guest, tell us about what you've been reading or watching or listening to this week. Uh, so I've just started because it just came out, um, so not to date the episode when we recorded your anniversary episode, uh, but it just came out this weekend was Disenchanted, Mm -hmm. uh, which just released on Netflix. Um, I've been enjoying it. It's been pretty funny. Um, it's, uh, for anybody wondering, it's much more like, uh, Futurama than The Simpsons. Um, but it's still pretty good. Yeah. I have also been watching that, but that's not the one I'm going to share this week. <laughs> Shannon, what have you been reading or watching or listening to? Um, can I throw a couple out there? It's yeah. been a while since we've recorded. I always do this. Um, I'll make it brief. Some movies I've seen recently that I really liked. Uh, Black Klansman, as Spike Lee's new movie, which is about um, a black man who infiltrates the Ku Klux Klan in the 70s. It's wonderful. Um, the guy actually lives in Utah, the guy oh. it's based on. Cool. So, that's neat. Um, yeah, it's really good. Like, uh, does a great job of tying what happened in the 70s to maybe what's happening now with white supremacy and other terrible things. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's also a pretty funny film. Anyway, liked that one. Um, saw Crazy Rich Asians, which I liked, and I feel like I just have to promote every chance I get, because I think people need to see that movie, because diversity is important, um, and there aren't many films with Asian actors, um, yeah. at least not as predominantly as this film. Mm-hmm. I saw a tweet that said, uh, saw Crazy Rich Asians, and I'm encouraging everyone to see it, because if we see more rom-coms, they will make more rom-coms. We're all in this yeah. together. So. <laughs> and, um... As we're recording this, it made like more money than anyone expected it to this Yay. weekend, so that's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just one other plug, um, pretty recently I appeared on my friend's podcast. Um, it's called The Brave Little Podcast. Um, my friend David Stoffer, um, they cover new movies, and I went on there to talk about 8th grade, coming-of-age films. And we also spent a lot of time talking about the new Oscar category because everyone knows I like Oscar stuff. Nice. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, check that out. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so I have been watching, um, as per Shannon's suggestion, I have been watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, yes. and I love it. It's so good. I love it. What, where are you at now? Oh, I'm still like 10 episodes in, I want to say. Okay. Uh, Do you so, have a favorite song? Uh, 
Um, I love pretty much everything from episode two. Um, I love the yoga teacher song and the um, <laughs> one that she sings to Valencia. Um, I also really love, and I don't know what episode it's from, but the Women Gotta Stick Together song. <laughs> yeah, that that show's so good. Is, <laughs> it, is this the first time you've talked about this? Yeah, on this podcast. Seriously? Yeah, because we. Started, oh yeah, I guess we started. You started so, recording. Yeah, okay. we've, been, yeah. we've been on like a two-month recording break. Um, I know we've been putting out episodes. I know sporadically. Sorry, guys. We were on a break. <laughs> <laughs> You're ramming the illusion that we've I'm been sorry. recording this whole time. I'm so sorry. You're not, you're not, not even doing. Dedicated you're, not, you're not even doing the. Uh, you're not even doing a, a Ross impression. We were on a break. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we, I started watching right after we went on our break. Yeah. yeah, I've brought it up before. We did a um, Thanksgiving episode where we mm-hmm. talked about things we like, and that's what I talked about. Yeah. But it's one of my favorite shows going on it's right so now. Good. Um, the last season of it is it, this next one is going to be the last season. So mm-hmm. I hope everyone watches it. It's so good. It is so good, and I know that Patton Oswalt, uh, Patton Oswalt is in it. Um, in this upcoming season. Oh, I was going to say, he yeah. hasn't been. <laughs> yeah, he is recording a musical number or something like that. Heck so. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's a I'm delight. excited to get caught up with that, hopefully before the new season starts. We'll see. Yeah. So good. Cool. Well, let's get into 2001 A Space Odyssey. So, we're going to kick it off with plot, which I'm going to do well, very do we, poorly. <laughs> do we want to talk about... First exposure. Oh, yeah, let's do first And production. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So do, I'm sorry. I completely forgot. No, you're totally fine. Um, yeah, Andrew, what was your first exposure to 2001 A Space Odyssey? Uh, in any form. Like most things, it was The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> the episode... Now I don't remember. Oh, I think it's Homer's Odyssey, I think is the one that it is. But there's a, the, the episode starts, and it's all the uh, apes... Uh, touching the monolith and then each ape that touches the monolith does something one invents fire one starts using tools and Homer the Homer monkey touches it and invents goofing off and he actually like reclines against the monolith and (laughs) knocks it back a little bit Mm -hmm. while also Sprague Zarathustra plays you know but Homer is the one who invents goofing off um, Mm -hmm. as the ape so that was that was my first intro to it, along with the episode where Homer gets the massage chair and it massages him so much that he starts going through the monolith at the end when it's like the, it's got the colors rushing past him and then his, his face is a different color, he blinks and it changes color and blinks again and changes color, so. Very yep. nice. Yep. How about you, Shannon? Yeah, I, <laughs> I think there are so many references to this movie that I was trying to, like, figure out what would have been my first and then actually remembering it. Um, there is a reference to it in Rugrats, so that was probably my first exposure for real. There's a part where um, Chucky throws up. I guess the lights in their house had gone out, mm-hmm. and when they come back on, Chucky throws their dog Spike's bone up in the air, and it kind of hovers in the air oh. like oh. the bone that the ape men throw up. Um my the first time I realized it was a 2001 reference though was Wally, <laughs> where their robot is it. It looks just like Hal. I don't know if it's named Hal, but kind of their oh, um, auto the autopilot. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It kind of has that red eye mm-hmm. sort of thing. So definitely a callback to yeah to Hal. I'm trying to think of what my first exposure was. I want to say that it might have been Inside Out. Um. 
So that's the that's the singing group, right? That's not the album, Inside Out. Oh, oh, oh not the movie, the uh, the acapella group. Yes. Yes. Um, so there's an acapella group called Inside Out. That was your yeah. first exposure. That was like 2008 oh. when that album came out. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But I mean, I I think I'd heard the the song, the ba 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 ba, but I had no idea what it was. Yeah. But then um, it was in that Inside Out album. There's a they what is it? Oh, it's a snowman song, right? They take a take this snowman song. Once there was a snowman, they like mix it up with other songs. And so this particular one, they go ba 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 ba, and it's open the something doors, Frosty, and it's I'm sorry, James, I just can't do that. Yeah, it says open the back, <laughs> open the back porch doors, Frosty. That's right. <laughs> I don't have to listen to that again. Yeah. I don't remember that one. Yeah, and so that was that might. Have I remember been the first. thriller one, but yeah. Well, so, so, so they had two albums where they did that. The first one was the uh, was thriller, okay. and then the second album, the next album after that, they were. released. That one has the. Uh, <laughs> That, that one also has a Les Mis uh, one, which is pretty, which is pretty good. Oh, that's funny. Um, it's instead of Castle on a Cloud, that's Snowman in my in a yard. So <laughs> it's pretty good. Yep. Oh man, that's great. Anyway, <laughs> that might have, I, that's the first one that I can remember. Anyway, but other than that, it was probably The Simpsons. So, so. cool. There were probably references in The Simpsons that you didn't even realize yeah. were. 2001. Because like, I didn't really start watching The Simpsons until after you and I got together, though. We'll get yeah, to that next week. We'll <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, cool. So, Shannon, tell us about production on this movie. Yeah, um, just a few notes that I figured would be good to know ahead of time. Um, so, Stanley Kubrick directed the film, and he kind of set out to create a quote-unquote good science fiction movie, or at least one that was more realistic um, than what we had at the time. I can't think of any really good examples, but I watched <laughs> some clips. Of, like, everything then, it was so campy, mm-hmm. like science fiction, and so people didn't take that genre very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kubrick, like, I guess saw potential in it and wanted to make something um, that people wouldn't look down at. Um, he wanted to make a film about man's relationship to the universe um and as his co-screenwriter said um Kubrick was determined to create a work of art which would arouse the emotions of wonder awe even if appropriate terror um which we'll talk about because <laughs> this movie kind of terrified me at points <laughs> um so Kubrick um set out well he met author uh, arthur c clark who co-wrote the screenplay with him um and he picked clark because he had ties to the scientific community his stuff was more um i don't know like based in reality than other people's um science fiction novels and so clark offered kubrick um six short stories and he ended up choosing one called the sentinel to base uh, this film off of and kind of the plot of that one is that there's an artifact on the moon that submits these signals to aliens so kind of like the monolith in this film um so they based on that story they wrote the screenplay and the novel for 2001 a space odyssey simultaneously um and the only other production note is they spent a lot of money to make this scientifically accurate Mm -hmm. so um i don't know it's kind of crazy watching this thing how it was made in the 60s yeah um it holds up so well because of i don't know they just 
took a lot of time. And this was before we landed on the moon, I guess is also important to note. Um, So they were basing a lot of this on things that didn't exist yet that no one really had a concept of. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, So I'm going to get into plot here. Um, I'm going to go very fast. So, basically... <laughs> the best part about this plot is it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie, but you can summarize the plot in a, in a few seconds. Yes, yes. So, uh, the movie starts out with, it says, The Dawn of Man, and it's a bunch of monkeys um, in very impressive prosthetics, I will say. Um, like, it's yeah. actors in prosthetics. Like, when they move their mouths, like, like, the lips curl up, and it's very impressive how they were able to do it. But, um, yeah, so there are all these kind of apes. They're living in packs kind of foraging and um and you can see like there are two rival packs and they're arguing over resources and water you might need to put her to bed sooner later um so yeah they're arguing over like water um then uh they so this one pack of monkeys goes to sleep and then when they wake up in the morning, there's this monolith. It's like this square thing. It's like black and dark and maybe metallic, and it's sticking out of the ground, and it's just there. And they all kind of freak out, and then they go and they start to touch it. And um, you see the, you hear the boom, 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 and it has this shot um, from the base of the monolith where it's the square top, and the sun is coming up over it and meeting like this like crescent moon so it's this really cool like alignment thing and then immediately afterward one of the apes um is foraging and he finds this skeleton oi knock that off no don't drive on the door no which one was that james um so one of the apes is foraging and he um, there's a skeleton nearby, so he picks up a bone and he starts smacking the other bones with it, and he realizes he can use the bone as like a weapon or a tool. Um, so his pack, they all kind of grab more bones and they go back to the water hole that they'd been driven away from, and they attack the other group um, and they kill one of the other apes, and then they, they hunt like, some tapers. Yeah, they hunt some tapers. Um, so you can see that this is kind of the advent of man using tools. Um, so yeah, and then we cut to two, 2001, um, and we should say this movie was made in 1961, so this is the future to the people of this movie. 1968. Um, oh, 1968. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was later than I thought it was. Yeah. It was, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so, oh, yeah, so we're coming up on, this is the 40-year anniversary of... Movie. 50th. So we should, yeah. we should have started with that. Yeah. That's not the reason. 50 years. A lot of people have talked about, yeah, this film because of its anniversary. Yeah. Happened recently. But yeah, so we got to 2001, and um, we see there's lots of, like, long establishing shots in this movie of just things. Like, <laughs> like there's this, this long shot of a stewardess on, like, a rocket going toward the space station where she's like walking down the like aisle and she's got these like velcro shoes on um so that way she can walk in anti-gravity or not anti-gravity but zero zero g um 
so yeah, there's lo lots of establishing shots like that. And like Shannon said, it's very cool. Like they, they must there's have had like rotating pen too. That's yeah. pretty iconic that yeah. she goes and grabs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So there's lots of really cool stuff in there, but it is a little bit boring. <laughs> did, so. did we get to, I think before we even go inside the ship though, mm -hmm. they just show spaceships. Yeah. They show the ship, the ship that he, the that, he that the guy is on yeah. and the space station and rotating. And the space station is cool because it's based on a design that Warner Von Braun had for a space station, which is the circular um, spinning space station where the uh, centrifugal force essentially creates a gravity-like state. On the Same one they have in Xenon, Girl yeah. from the 21st yeah. century. Nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. Um, and they show all of these ships to the tune of Blue Danube, right? So it's yeah. da 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 Which is what, da, which is what so many other space things yeah. have. Yeah, uh, so many. Including yeah. this episode. So it was what? kind of crazy, like... All the music, it's based on classical pieces, or at least that bum, 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 ba -da, is based on um, what it, it's like music from a spoken poem or know. something. Anyway, um, so there are pieces before, but now when everyone hears those, they automatically think of yeah. this film. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right, sorry, so setting this, the um, scene for some of these shots. Yes, and that's great because, yeah, that's something that's um, parodied and uh, imitated a lot. Um, so yeah, so we're introduced to this guy. What is his name? I can't remember. It's hey, not really important. Dr. Haywood Floyd? <laughs> That's the one. Haywood Floyd. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Haywood Floyd goes to the space station. Um, he video calls his daughter and tells her happy birthday. He goes and talks with some uh, acquaintances of his who he mentions that he's going to this base on the moon. And they're all like, oh, there have been some stories coming out of there like... They've stopped communicating with everybody, and this spaceship, like, tried to land there and, like, make an emergency landing there, and they wouldn't give them clearance, and fortunately they made it back to the space station alive, but, like, what, what the heck is going on? People are <laughs> saying that there's, like, an outbreak or something of some disease, and uh, Haywood Floyd's just like, I'm not at liberty to discuss that. <laughs> um, he gets on a spaceship, goes to the moon, um, and meets with a bunch of scientists there, um, and we basically find out that uh, the story of the outbreak is a cover story for something else that has happened there. Um, and he tells them it's essential that we maintain secrecy because if people on Earth were to realize what's going on, there would be panic. Um, so yeah, lots of, uh, lots of, I don't know, dramatic tension there. <laughs> um, and then we, they put on their spacesuits and they go out onto the moon and they find basically a monolith exactly like the one from the beginning of the movie. Um, and they all go up and touch it. And oh, also we should say whenever there's a monolith, there's also this like whoa, <laughs> choir just like making eerie noises. Um, so they go up to the monolith and that that sound is getting louder and louder and then it stops. And then they all start touching it and then there's this noise in their heads and they're well, like, they're going ah. to take, take a selfie and then that's when the oh yeah they kind of take a picture <laughs> that's when that I did weird. find that weird <laughs> I was like why, why is it important for them to take a picture of this right yeah. now <laughs> so yeah so um, and then it cuts to 18 months later and uh, we see this very long spaceship on its way to Jupiter um, we get some like a so there's two men who are conscious on board the spaceship and then we see these like hu vaguely human-shaped pods, and we we learn from a TV interview that 
basically these three pods have three other scientists and that in order to conserve resources like air and food and water um, basically all three of those scientists were put into like a frozen kind of suspended um, animation. suspended animation state um, before the mission even started so it's just these two guys and then they're assisted by um, a computer called HAL H-A-L and I can't remember what it stands for but um, it's like a HAL 9000 basically and it's supposed to be the most advanced computer system in the world they do a whole thing about how um, HAL is programmed to mimic human behavior and emotions it certainly seems to have emotions of its own um, but how the logic processors on this computer are essentially flawless like they've like known computer um, of this model I guess has ever made a mistake um, and so we kind of get that all set up um, the guys are there's lots of establishing shots of them just kind of moving around the ship and one guy is like <laughs> getting his vitamin D rays and yeah that, that was because he was getting a transmission from his parents and he's in like some booty shorts and like yeah. <laughs> like tube socks and I was like don't you want to put on a shirt before you talk to your parents but it was just like a, a messy a pre-record so yep. I like him running around like yeah. the rotating space yeah. station yeah um yeah, yeah, we also shot. get shots of uh, them eating food, like, and the way that it... It all looked like hummus. Worked. Yeah, it all looked like hummus. Um, and maybe an important thing to mention, too, like, every time, everything has a ton of instructions on it, yes. too. Yes. Like, when someone needed to use the bathroom, it had, like, this nine-step, mm -hmm. like, all these paragraphs about how you <laughs> use the toilet properly. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's clear that, like, man has advanced quite a bit, but it's, like, being in space is still a fairly new thing. Um, it's, it's certainly not something that everybody does. Um, so, yeah, these two guys, and we kind of get these establishing shots where we see just how much they depend on Hal um, for running the ship. And then um, Hal is talking with one of the guys, Dave, and basically is like, isn't this mission a little, like, strange? Like, doesn't it bother you that... Um, all three of these scientists that were put into suspended animation were trained separately for months ahead of time and not together, and then they were all put into their, like, like frozen state before they even came together or came on board. Like, isn't that a little strange? <laughs> and Dave's just like, well, I don't know, like, and he's trying to kind of reason with Hal, and Hal's like, oh, I'm sorry, that's silly. Um, <laughs> so then Hal says, oh, hang on, I'm sensing that there's this communications antenna that's going to fail in about 72 hours. They're like, okay, and so Hal's like, I would recommend that we go out and we replace it before it fails. So um, the other guy, Frank, he gets into an EVA pod. EVA is short for extravehicular activity. Dave's the one in the pod first. No, it's Frank. No, it's Dave. Oh, yeah, you're, not, you're right. It's Dave. <laughs> um, so Dave goes into the EVA pod. He goes out and he replaces this part of the antenna. He comes back. Um, that was the least favorite part of the film. Oh, it was wasn't so it? long. It was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was all the soundtrack was basically just heavy breathing. Yeah, at that heavy point. breathing into the microphone. Yeah. It made me feel very claustrophobic. <laughs> I was like, I can't take this. Even though we're in space. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so they bring the the piece back and they start to analyze it and look at it, trying to figure out like what failed or what failed or was going to fail on it, and um, they can't find anything wrong with it. And so Hal's like, well, I don't understand that. So then they get a broadcast back from Mission Control basically saying, um, like, 
we recommend that you and Hal is saying, well, if there's nothing wrong with it, maybe we put it back out on the ship and we let it fail so that we can see what's wrong then. Um, so that way we can learn and fix the problem. Um, and so, but then they get a message from Mission Control basically saying, um, we recommend that you follow that recommendation from your computer. However, be advised that um, our backup, so they have a model of the same computer at Mission Control that's basically working as a backup to HAL on the ship. And the one at Mission Control um, basically said, yeah, there's no problem with it, it's not going to fail, which implies that the HAL on the ship is faulty or the computer back at Mission Control is faulty, but there's no way that they can really know for sure, um, except for to put the part back and let it fail if it's going to fail. And if it doesn't, then they know that their computer's broken and that's a serious problem because so much of their ship and their mission depends on the computer. Um, so they're trying to discuss this without HAL realizing it because HAL is kind of everywhere. So they get into one of the EVA pods and they turn off all of the mics inside. Um, and they rotate it so that the window is facing Hal, which I was like, why would you do that? Um, well, they ask Hal to turn the pod yeah. around, right? But mm -hmm. it won't do it because it can't hear them. Right. Well, so they get in the pod, and before they turn off all the mics, they ask him to turn the pod. Oh. The well, I thought it was so they could get out. in. No. So the window was facing out, and the hatch to get in was on the back. So they get in, and, and then they ask, them, ask him to turn it. <laughs> and then they turn off all the microphones and ask him to turn it again. He yeah. can't hear but their window is facing the house, which has a little camera in there. So they start yeah, talking. But, uh, could you really imagine a computer reading lips, though? I mean, like, that's a insane. Like that, yeah. That's insane. <laughs> no, no, humans can't do that. But that was the whole point. Like, how is it supposed to be, like, smarter than humans, but up to, like, normal human capacities? Mm. Whereas, like, nobody can actually, well, I'm not nobody, but very few people can actually read lips. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't go into the assumption, especially with this being... Like, this was made in 67. I mean, mm -hmm. the, te the terrors of Black Mirror are still 50 years away. So, like, <laughs> kind of imagining new ways for technology to kill us kind of... Okay, was, but... It was, it was a different story, if, I think. If it were me, and I were... If I was worried about the computer hearing me or knowing what I was talking about, I would cover all my... <laughs> that's because oh, you, yeah. you live in a post-9000 <laughs> nine, nine world. <laughs> Sure. Can can we talk about that shot though? How yes. earlier they'll sometimes show things from Hal's perspective, yes. so it's like in this circular. It's a fish eye. It's a fish eye yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, so let's, let's talk about what they were discussing in the pod. And then oh we're, yeah, yeah. So Dave and Frank are in the pod and they're discussing like, okay, well, if the computer mission control is saying this and our computer is saying this, one of them's faulty. We don't know which one is which until we put the thing back out and see if it fails. But if it's ours, like, what do we do? And they're like, the only thing that we can do, because we rely like so much on this computer, the only thing we can do is disconnect it altogether from the ship and like only keep essential functions going. Um, so yeah, and then we can... Then so it comes to that shot. shot, and of course I'm already thinking, you don't want it to see the camera, you can see it through the pod that Al's looking see it through the, the yeah. porthole, you can see it. Because it has that creepy like... red eye, but they cut to, like, Cal's perspective, and it zeroes in on their lips, and it creeped me <laughs> out <laughs> so it's so It's so good at being so creepy with, with like, so without yeah. putting music stings in it. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, it's it's, so if it were made today, it would be like... Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Like the dog with the shifty eyes or yeah. something with Hal. But with this, oh. it's just like there's barely any music with Hal involved, and it's just mm -hmm. so terrible. And Hal is just a little red light, so there's no like 
emotional face reactions from the computer, you know. So, but it's mm-hmm. still so terrifying because yeah. <laughs> you know what it's doing. And you know what I'm doing. <laughs> so um, they go out. Frank goes out. We all have hells in our pockets now. So I mean, <laughs> don't remind me. <laughs> so Frank goes out in the EVA pod to replace the part. Um, he gets out of the EVA pod in his spacesuit to like actually do it. And he's tethered to the pod, and then you see the shot of the pod just like moving toward, like like <laughs> rotating, rotating toward, toward him, him, and then the claws kind of extend and it starts moving in. Oh. And you're just like, no! <laughs> so Dave is kind of monitoring what's going on um, from the cameras that are on the outside of the ship in like the cockpit. So he's in there and he sees Frank just go boom, flying by. So he and there's uh, that shot too of mm-hmm. Hal and it zeroes in on his eye. It gets like closer oh, and yeah. closer, and that was the that's better. A, that's, it's the visual. It's a visual <laughs> equivalent of a music sting because yeah. it, it zooms closer in on Hal right before yeah. the right before Frank goes flying through the. Yeah. Window. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> so Frank is flying. Um, Dave freaks out, and his only thought is, "I've got to save my buddy." So he jumps into one of the other EVA pods without his space helmet. Um, spacesuit helmet. Idiot. And I know, right? I was like, you know the computer's bad. But <laughs> he gets into the EVA pod. Hal, like, obeys all of his orders and, like, opens the doors and lets him go out. He gets into his pod and he goes after Frank, which, by the way, I had a little bit of a problem with that just from, like, a physics perspective because there's no gravity in sp- or there's no friction in space. There's no way that, like, at that point, Frank's gone. Like, he's gone. But he manages to catch up with him and, like, scoop him up in the little claws. And I'm like, he's dead. Like, there's just no way he's alive at this point. But he's bringing him back to the ship. And he gets to the um, the bay doors. And he says, open the the bay doors, Hal. And Hal says, I'm sorry, Dave. I just can't do that. Well, he, he doesn't acknowledge him for a while. That's like, he, true. Calls, he calls out to Hal a couple times. He doesn't acknowledge him. And then he finally says, open the pod bay doors, Hal. And I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do yes. that. He goes, I'm here, Dave. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I just can't do that. And he's like, why not? <laughs> or no, he says, why the hell not? <laughs> and, oh no, no. no he, he, only swear, he only swears once. Because Dave right. is the coolest cucumber that like, ever, ever, ever committed to film. That dude sees some wacky ass crap. <laughs> and he stays cool as a cucumber. That's such a good point. Um, so he's just like, why not? And Hal goes, I think that we both know why. And <laughs> Dave's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, I know like, you were planning to disconnect me. And he goes, what the hell gave you that idea? And he it's goes, like, I can read your lips. It's like, it's like if you're like talking with your friend and you're like bad-mouthing your mom or something. And then she like opens the door and like, and like you're like, oh, hi, mom. And then like, and then she, she like, you play this game where it's like, I think you know that I was here the whole time. I heard everything. Yeah. Um, not that you've had personal experience with that. Nope. It kind of sounds like. <laughs> um, so, uh, if, so basically Dave is trying to figure out what he's going to do. Um, and we've had multiple shots of the back of the EVA pods that say, warning, explosive bolts. So, you know. I wonder <laughs> when that's going to come. Thanks, thanks, Stanley. So then Dave is like, I'm just going to go to the manual override door and... I was like, without your space helmet? I don't think so. Like, he's like, I think you would find that very difficult without your space helmet. And I'm just like, ah, Dave, why did you take your space helmet? Uh, so, um, what he winds up doing is he backs the EVA pot up to the door. He uses oh, the. Um, real quick. What? The reason that Hal's doing this, he says, is because he says the mission is too important oh, to right. be trusted to humans. 
because mm-hmm. it's always how says whenever there's a mistake it's always human error it's never machines it's always humans mm-hmm. and this mission is too important to be trusted to humans that's right oh and also at this point he has killed all three of the scientists who are um, in their hypersleep thing mm-hmm. so. and I was going to say then he says this conversation can't serve any purpose no longer any longer yeah. Yeah. get what I mean anyway it just like shuts him down and stops yep. and, yeah, and then, then the Dave keeps yelling Hal a couple times so, oh, Hal so, so um, he gets the EVA pod he goes up to the like manual door and there are a couple of knobs that he has to twist to get it to open um, but it's an airlock so he's opened it up to space there's another door on the inside so what he has to do is somehow get into the airlock have that door close and then open up or have it pressurize again and then he can get into the ship. So, um, but he doesn't have a space helmet. So that is a big problem. So he gets into the pod and he backs up, backs it up so that the doors with the explosive bolts are facing it. So he's, and he like does the sequence to get the bolts activated and he's basically launched into this thing. He manages to close the door, it pressurizes, he's back. He gets back into the ship and he puts on his space helmet this time because of course he would like how has control of all the essential systems so yeah you'd want <laughs> so for the doors on. apparently like he can just like waltz through the doors yeah <laughs> if i were how i'd just be like uh that door's locked sorry i mean there you can't access my brain how could have been smarter <laughs> you can't access my brain <laughs> dave i mean there has to be manual overrides though right i don't know just the yeah. 60s <laughs> So he's uh, he's going and he gets to the the bit where Hal's brain is and he manages to get in and the whole time Hal's saying, "What are you doing, Dave? Let's talk about this." Uh, we've had time to reconsider this, Dave, and I promise I won't do anything. He's like, "I won't bad. do it again." <laughs> and so he's trying to talk Dave out of it, and it's it's so inter- that part is so interesting to me because I think if it were like a human, it would be like. What are you doing? Like more, more desperate sounding, but it's just so like even keeled. Like no, no, stop it! I feel it. It's like it's yeah. Even, so when, he, even, when, he's, even when he's saying he's afraid, he just yeah. I'm afraid, Dave. I'm, I'm afraid. afraid. And then yeah, while while he's pulling pieces of his brain out. Yeah. So he's he gets in there and he's pulling these bits out, um, and then this video pops up that says um, like. Basically, if you're watching this, then you have reached Jupiter. Um, we had to conceal the full details about the mission from you. The only person who knew was your computer. Um, but basically what it is, is the monolith on the moon sent a signal to another monolith on Jupiter. And so their mission is to find the monolith and examine it. Um, so Dave has now arrived at Jupiter. And um, he gets into the EVA pod and he's going to examine the monolith. And he ends up entering the monolith and then basically sort of. the rest of the movie is like an acid trip of him like going through these planes with these multicolors and it's really freaky because it'll be like this like windows screensaver-esque neon colored like you know shapes and stuff and then it'll flash to like a shot like a split second of dave's face where he's making some like grotesque face that makes it look like he's in pain or there's just like lots of g's on his body or something and um, his eyes are like rolling back in his head and then it'll cut away just as fast. Um, it's really freaky. Um, and then all of a sudden Dave is in a room, a very nice room with a nice bed and um, he's in the pod kind of looking around and then he sees a man in a spacesuit outside of the pod and then suddenly he is the man in the spacesuit and the pod is no longer there. And but he's, he's older. And he's older. 
Um, so then he goes into the bathroom of this place, and then he turns back around and looks back into the room, and he sees another even older man sitting at a table and eating dinner, and the man kind of turns around and looks at him and then goes back to his food, and suddenly Dave is that man, and he is a much older version of himself. And then as he's eating his food, he drops a glass and it breaks on the ground. He looks over to the bed and sees like totally ancient version of himself lying in the bed. And then that is him. And he's lying in the bed. He's like clearly on the verge of death. And then he looks up and there's a monolith in the room. He points at it. And then suddenly he is no longer a man. He is a star, star baby. <laughs> star child. Yeah, he's a He's fetus. space fetus. <laughs> yep. And then uh, the movie ends with the fetus out in space, looking over Earth. Back the to the Okay, so Shannon has done a lot of research into the ending of this, which is good because I told them when I googled right after we finished watching the uh, movie. Yeah. No, that's exactly what she googled to those who want to space out to see what the hell. And, and uh, it, yeah, it brought up a lot of people going like, I had to watch this for school. I didn't understand what this was. Um, can I bring up quickly two other things that I think are referenced a lot that yes. I'm not sure we got? So from that beginning with the eight men, Donna mm-hmm. time end of thing to um, into our next section, there's that cut shot. Mm-hmm. We, so that's referenced a lot. Oh, they, where the bone is flying up in the air. So throw, they throw bone up in the air, and all of a sudden the bone becomes like a spaceship. Mm-hmm. And yes. it's one of the famous, uh, one of the most famous like cuts yes. ever. Um, and also when Hell is dying, um, dying, being turned off, whatever you want to call it, um, he starts singing Daisy, Daisy, oh, give yeah. us your answer to you, um, which is a reference to, now I'm trying to think, like an early computer was programmed to sing that song, mm-hmm. and so it's supposed to be like that's his earliest memory mm-hmm. as you're deleting them all. Anyway, that's also creepy and unsettling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like slowly talking about that song. Ah, it's so good though. I love that. And like Very, as, as he's the, dying and singing the song, his voice goes. Yeah, it's, one of the, it's honestly it's honestly one of the most satisfying villain deaths of all of film. I feel I'm like yeah yeah use your higher brain functions, you stupid robot. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the end. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, that was my reaction to like, what the heck does this mean? Um, so the thing about it, to be clear, is that Hubert was like, it doesn't really matter. There's not one answer to the ending, and it's not so important to understand what the ending means, but that you felt something. Right. Um, his quote was, you're free to speculate as you wish about the philosophical and allegorical meaning of the film, and such speculation is one indication that it has succeeded in gripping the audience at a deep level. Yeah. So it means what you want it to be is the easy answer. <laughs> well, yeah, this was definitely a film to be made for filmmakers rather than, like, tell a story. Like, obviously oh, yeah. he brought in Arthur C. Clarke to help write a story, but it, the story totally. is very much tangential to what's actually happening on the screen oh yeah I feel. it's masterful filmmaking um, but some potential <laughs> things that people have brought up um so there's the monolith being kind of god and maybe not the god as we know it but um some sort of god um kind of theories uh behind that or that um 
I mean, so obviously, I think what we can figure is happening is that the monolith, um, when it appears and creatures touch it, they seem to get some new understanding right. or advance in technology or whatnot. Um, and so there's this idea that there's this like higher power that's kind of bringing this monolith down to the humans so they can advance. Um, and so the monolith like has limitless potential. It has intelligence beyond what we can comprehend. Um, at the end, Bowman, when he reaches out to the monolith, when he's old and in bed, um, it kind of looks like the creation of Adam. So it's oh, like sure. him yeah. touching God. Okay. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, there's also um, the decor of that room. It does look modern, except for the furniture, which is very much like Versailles or something. Yeah. Um, it's neoclassical styled, um, so referring to the Age of Enlightenment. So he's reached this point of enlightenment, sure. is maybe the insinuation there. Um, so that's one theory. There's also um, the superhuman theory. So the, now I'm going to forget what the piece is called, but that bit of music that we keep talking about. Oh, also Sparks Earth, that's true. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> then, say it slowly. I think, I believe, I can, I can never pronounce the second word, or the last word right, it's also Sprock Zarathustra. Also Sprock Zarathustra? So much better than I could pronounce. I think, I But that title refers to a work from Nietzsche, and Kubrick loved him, and that that book with that title, um, the book refers to an ubermensch or a so like a superhuman, um, and he says that the child is the last stage of evolution before the superhuman, and so there's this idea throughout the film that we're advancing toward being superhuman. So we go from ape men to humans with technology, um, the humans find the monolith um and it kind of signals out to aliens that or these other beings that humans have sufficiently evolved to like reach the next stage so that's why they're introduced to the monolith again um bowman though has to um, unplug hal and not rely on technology there's a insinuation that he has to get rid of that to move on to like this next phase where he's in this kind of drug trip kind of thing um and yeah so the whole idea is that um and i actually liked um i watched this documentary about it how they talked about how humans you could take this movie in a very negative way that's another way of reading it that technology is bad uh, artificial intelligence is going to take over the world but what actually ends up happening he's able to shut hell down and instead of like computers advancing further than humans can it's that we actually haven't evolved as far as we can but there's like another stage for us to reach so it's actually kind of optimistic in that way that we can be transfigured into this higher form this super baby kind of thing um so that's another way um i do think like hubert have issues with technology <laughs> because of how um along with how like being murderous <laughs> every point where technology is introduced bad things happen so they men start killing people because they get these weapons mm -hmm. um the computers are more human than the humans are throughout the film so Hal is the only one who really expresses any kind of emotion yeah yeah, um, 
And like I said, like all the technology is super detailed. There's really detailed instructions about it. But the humans, every time they have conversations, they barely say anything. They talk to their children and they're just, um, what's his name at the beginning when he talks to his daughter, like barely has anything oh, to say would. to her. Yeah. yeah. Um, other thing. <laughs> there are so many ways oh, you can a, take a, it. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, the superhuman is the one I like the best, I think. Oh, uh, see, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Nietzsche, so I don't, like, <laughs> whatever people bring up, I'm like, yeah. So, but but there's, I, like, a religious connotation oh, yeah, there. You can take it either as, like, science and... Well, yeah. What's, so what's, what's really interesting is that this actually, like... It's supposed to be the monoliths were created by these aliens that we just never mm-hmm. see. Yeah. And so it's like, I guess that can be kind of con- interpreted as God or some kind of higher authority or something like that. But yeah, it is supposed to be every time that man is going to evolve to the next step of its evolution, the monoliths are involved. Yeah. So be that whatever sort of higher power sure. <laughs> you yeah. believe in. Whether it's uh, technology or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, one other thing I thought was kind of interesting is that people have related to it to Homer's Odyssey. Um, and it's called 2001 A Space Odyssey. So mm. there's a link there. And um, people have said um, Dave Bowman's name comes from Odysseus is an archer. And so literally mm. Bowman. Um, Hal has the one eye, kind of like Cyclops and that. So there are ties mm. to that story. Um, the general premise of it is sort of similar that there's this journey into a place that's unknown. Um, and that's also a more optimistic way of looking at it because Odysseus in the end, after meeting all these different monsters and things mm-hmm. ends up coming home so the idea that maybe humans have reached this state that they were always supposed to reach um yeah i think that's <laughs> what i've got there yeah. so kind of some interesting ideas i it honestly made me like the film a lot more hearing people talk about what they thought about the ending um i mean i agree with you that i think more than the story it's about how masterful the filmmaking is and mm-hmm. how it makes you feel more than what any of it means. Right. But, yeah, some kind of interesting ideas there. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, so, let's move on to... Um, do you want to really well, briefly, Andrew, do you really want to briefly um, talk about the sequel? So, yeah, um, this this is a, it's a four-book series written by Arthur C. Clarke. The novel and the screenplay were actually written in conjunction with each other, which is really interesting because there are some actual, there are some interesting differences between the novel and the screenplay, despite being produ- like created at the same time. Uh, one of them is that Saturn is actually supposed to be the planet where the monolith was hanging out, but the filmmakers couldn't, or the, the production designers couldn't come up with a realistic way to portray the rings around Saturn, so they changed it to Jupiter. Um, which is, uh, that's fine, I guess. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting reason to, like, switch the yeah. planets. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess I didn't that. <laughs> yeah, um, but, uh, what, what they actually figure out, and I don't remember if they figured this out in the sequel or in the, in the original book, but the reason that Hal is killing people is not because he's evil, 
but because he suffers kind of the equivalent of a paranoid nervous breakdown because he was required to withhold the information about the mission from the mm-hmm. humans and that conflicted with his programming to have open and uh, access to all information. Huh. So it conflicts with his programming and so then that's why he, he essentially has a mental breakdown and starts murdering people because he's like, the mission is so important I can't even trust the humans even though I'm supposed to trust them, they created me. And essentially <laughs> breaks down and starts murdering. That's a nicer interpretation. Right. And then, yeah, and it is and it is like, oh, okay, well, I guess he's a little bit... Because in the sequel, what happens is... Um, it's t- The sequel is 2010, the year we made contact. So it's nine years later. And the guy from the, the moon, the, or that we follow on uh, to the moon, Haywood Floyd, uh, is played by Roy Scheider. And he uh, is going to... Um, there, the Soviets and the and the U, U.S. are racing to get to Jupiter to see what happened, and so there's a kind of a crew with him on it that gets sent out there. Um, and there, it turns out that the Russians have the uh, equipment, but they don't have the personnel to get aboard the Discovery, uh, which is the name of the spaceship that was headed to Jupiter. So they use American and Russian cosmonauts to go up there and visit. And there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens, but kind of. Um, like uh, they they decide they get there and they try to go to Europa, one of the moons, and the probe that they send down is mysteriously destroyed. Um, they can't figure out what happened. Um, and then uh, Floyd thinks that um, it's a warning to stay away from Europa. And then, um, but there's kind of no clarification. So then. They're on board Discovery. They bring the creator of HAL with them on the crew um, to kind of see what was going on. And she reactivates HAL, um, and which would seem like a bad idea, except for then they, that's when... Uh, that must be it. And then we find out in the sequel, that was why he went nuts, um, was because of the conflicting programming. So they get really mad at Haywood, because they're like, you... He was the one who signed the order yeah. to keep the information secret from the humans. So they're like, you basically killed those astronauts. You're a jerk. <laughs> and um, so then they don't tell how. Um, so what happens is they have to leave. They're they're trying to leave Jupiter. They're trying to get out of orbit. There's like a, a way that they can get out of orbit within two weeks. But then Bowman, Dave Bowman, comes back uh, and appears to them and tells them that they have they have to leave in two days. Um, and he also appears. Um, to his wife on a TV screen to tell her goodbye and appears to his dying, dying mother on Earth as well. Um, so he's kind of, he's now fully like star child, like transcending all this kind of stuff, transcending, <laughs> transcending your phys- physical limitations, time space, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, Bowman shows up and says, you have to leave in two days. And so they decide to use the discovery as like a, um, a booster rocket, but it would destroy HAL and the Discovery. Um, but it would help the spaceship go back to Earth within two days, which is when Dave said they needed to leave. Because what happens, what, what's happening is on the surface of Jupiter, monoliths are exponentially re, uh, replicating on the surface of Jupiter, turning it into a star. Um, and so, um, yeah, these monoliths are just like creating, are just going nuts on Jupiter. And so then they escape right as the sun is formed. Um, and they managed to get away. And then I think the most kind of iconic thing to come from the sequel is, like I said, they, they have the, it actually opens on the line of Dave saying, my God, it's full of stars, which is supposed to be the last thing he says before he goes to the monolith and becomes a star child. Like that, that was kind of the last thing that he said 
right as it, as the monolith started to open up to him. Um, so it starts with that, but then the most the most iconic thing is as Hal is dying, he finally figures out that the humans like the creator tells him because they they keep it from Hal. They're like, hey, this is just an exercise about how we would need to leave if we needed to leave in two days instead of two weeks. And so Hal doesn't understand that, so he thinks it's just an exercise. So he tries to convince people to stay and study Jupiter. But then the creator's like, yeah, we need to go because we're all going to die and we have to leave in two days. And so Hal, understanding that humans are in danger, decides to stay behind on the Discovery and sacrifice himself to make sure that humans could get away. And so um, Hal and Dave both transmit... Um, the saying, all these worlds are yours, except Europa, try, attempt no landing there. Um, all these worlds, use them in peace. And so then, then Hal actually becomes a star child as well. He's taken into the monolith. And eventually, in the fourth book, Hal and Dave Bowman um, merge into one entity called Halman. And they pa- <laughs> and they pal around with uh, Frank's corpse for a while. Anyway, it gets really weird. Like Frank wow. shows back up, they reanimate his corpse, and he turns back into a human. It's it gets weird. Um, but anyway, uh, so the but yeah, the uh, except Europa attempt no landing there. I think is something that. But it turns out that Europa is actually the next place where life is going to form, and so. Um, they're warned to stay away from Europa. To, they, they don't want humans to interfere with uh, the evolution that's happening in Europa. There's another monolith down there waiting for the next stage of whatever grows on Europa. Huh. So that's the sequel. The other two just really are kind of unremarkable. They're nuts and <laughs> stuff. Yep. There's nothing There's nothing too big that comes out of those. They weren't even made into films, for crying out loud. <laughs> cool. All right, so let's talk a little bit about cultural impact of this movie. Um, so I'm not the first thing that I noticed when watching it was there are so many parallels between this movie and the first Star Trek movie, um, oh. which came out I guess only like within a few years. Um, like there are the long establishing shots of the outside of spaceships <laughs> um, and. Just like showing off all these different types of technology, like this is what we imagine a future would look like. Um, and uh, also in Star Trek, um, the movie, the first one, um, Leonard Nimoy. So they mm. encounter this alien spaceship. Sorry, not to not to correct you, but what? I am. Uh, Star Trek <laughs> the movie came out in '66. <gasps> what? Okay. Obviously, it, no, 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 Star that Trek. <laughs> that cannot be right. Just give, hang on. <laughs> Okay, well. Was that the show? Oh, stupid. Okay, I'm sorry. I apologize. That was the TV show. Okay. The 66. The movie came out in 79. Okay, yep. I apologize. Yeah, um, so there's a part in Star Trek 1 where Leonard Nimoy is, they encounter this big spaceship, and so he decides he's going to go into the spaceship and kind of like, he has like a jetpack type thing for EVAs, and he's also wearing the spacesuit. And he starts going into the ship, and it's like, almost exactly the same like all this psychedelic like acid trip type thing like that he's seeing as he goes into the ship and it lasts about the same amount of time that it lasts in 2001 a space odyssey like 15 minutes <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah i was just sitting there going like man gene roddenberry like must have really liked 2001 a space odyssey probably so there's some very very close oh, yeah. ties there but, yeah 
What else do you guys think? Oh, man, it's all all over the place. I I referenced two different Simpsons things (laughs) that I was talking about, but there are even more. When Homer goes into space, I mean, Mm -hmm. um, they do the... The star child thing. Yeah, Bart throws (laughs) his pen into the air like the bone, and then it comes down as a satellite that hits Homer as a star child on the head. He says, dope. As as a star (laughs) child. Um... They play the Blue Danube when Homer uh, he he brings he brings a bag of potato chips on board the spaceship, opens it up, the, the potato chips go all over the place, and Blue Danube plays as he eats them all over the ship. <laughs> um, um, there's actually so um, the, oh there's another ep- there's a Halloween episode of The Simpsons where they convert their house into a smart house <laughs> that's voiced by Pierce Brosnan. Um, but the but all of the but all the installments are how they look exactly like how mm-hmm. it's the red eye with the, the whole panel and everything not and, a bad omen at all and he falls in love with Marge and decides to kill Homer um, and so then Homer That's comes weird. back and, uh, well, Homer, so then he puts Homer in the in the kitchen disposal and then Homer pops out somehow. And, and then he goes and he starts pulling out pieces of his brain, just like in that part. And you know, at one point he pulls out Pierce Brosnan's British charm unit. And so then he starts <laughs> swearing and using an American accent and stuff. It's pretty funny. Um, well, there's tons of Simpsons references. There's, a, there's actually a Futurama episode, um, to stay in the same vein, where Bender starts... <laughs> okay, so there's an, there's an onboard AI aboard the Planet Express ship that they all use. And Bender fights with it constantly, but then it gets an upgrade, and it turns into Sigourney Weaver's voice. And Bender starts to date the ship. And <laughs> as they're dating, they actually sing Daisy <laughs> together. Aww. And then what happens is um, she shuts off the oxygen, and so they have to discuss what to do with the ships all around them. So they go into the shower where there's no cameras, and they talk to each other about what they're going to do. And there even is the clip of the ship watching them each speaking. And then you hear Sigourney Weaver go, I wish I learned how to read lips. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, so then they have to to disable the ship's intelligence inside the room, just like in A Space Odyssey. Uh, Oh, there's an episode where they go on the virtual internet, and there's a monolith that opens up, and there's all this light and stuff, and... Um, Fry goes, my god, it's full of ads. And there's all these advertisements that come flying out of it. So, yeah, there's... Yeah, I mean, it's all over the place. Yep. Oh, yeah. What are some that you have, Shannon? Yeah, I've got <laughs> several. I think um, every modern space movie we can think of has ties to mm-hmm. 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, some in particular, um, so Blade Runner, I guess that one's not really in space but um the new blade runner 2049 has um just the way that sound is used in that you keep completely about how quiet it is and yeah. but that's really used well and how slow it is my parents kept saying with blade runner that was so excruciating oh i love it i loved it though and i oh love gosh. it but it follows that same kind of thing where it's very deliberately slow it only uses sound like There'll be key moments that are very quiet. Um, so I think it pulls a lot of inspiration from that. And you have gravity, which aesthetically like looks very similar. Um, they have a shot of um, Sandra Bullock is in this like circular kind of pod, and she sort of looks like the star child. She's in that same sort of position. So that's a call to that. Um, a different thing, but there's an episode of Man- Mad Men that's called The Monolith. Mm. Um, and it's an ep- 
episode where they install an IBM computer at the office, and this is when there weren't really computers anywhere. The computer takes up an entire room, um, but people are really hesitant about adopting new technology, and there's a shot um, of this, like, black doorway that kind of looks like the monolith in 2001. Um Zoolander <laughs> um, Hansel and Derek Zoolander are trying to get into a computer and they kind of turn they've got this makeup on them that makes them look sort of like ape man and they're like hitting hitting the computer and trying to get into it um, and it has that same music going on um, to go off on something completely different it's crazy how much this actually impacted the space program yeah. Um, yeah. so the movie came out in 68 before we landed on the moon and so it's nuts when you watch it thinking we hadn't been to the moon before we didn't have shots of the earth before or we just barely had them yeah, yeah. just barely because we so had that was Apollo a new thing, 8 though. by that point which had gone around the moon that hadn't landed but I, when the astronauts came back and people were like, what does the moon look like? They said it looks like 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> they got it like so close to what they thought, you know, based on all the information they had that the moon would look like, and they actually did a really good job. Um, but it also impacted, so after NASA, um, after we landed on the moon, they were trying to figure out other initiatives, where to go next, and they basically brought Nixon, like, we want to do what's happening in 2001, a space odyssey, like, space station and all this, and he said, that's not actually possible, but, like, pick one thing, and they made a winged space shuttle from the film. Um, so it was just, it's kind of the art of what is possible <laughs> to do it gave them the starting point for what we could actually do in the space program yeah um and a lot of people have um like they saw that film and became fascinated with space and with science and all this and now have jobs in tech and um whatnot yeah. because of that film yeah so it's kind of the yeah, similar really story to we talked about the same thing with back to the future how like yeah. it imagined all of this technology in the future that yeah. then became reality. <laughs> right. Not yep. to be just the cartoon guy, uh, but I just remembered there's actually uh, there's an episode of Phineas and Ferb. Yeah. Uh, I'm shocked where... you didn't bring it up because when I searched, yes. all that came up was Phineas and Ferb references. Yeah. So there's yeah there's one where. Uh, they're trying to talk to their Russian cosmonaut friend who's who's studying black holes, mm-hmm. um, and what happens is an asteroid's heading towards their ship, and then through a crazy set of circumstances, they you know they tell them, hey, look behind you, there's an asteroid coming, and so they dodge the ship out of the way, but then they get stuck in, sucked into a wormhole, and then because mm-hmm. um, the the Phineas and Ferb are trying to wish them wish the cosmonaut friend a happy birthday. And so, uh, but the, the message gets jumbled and all that kind of stuff. So then it cuts to, you know, beyond space and time. And their friend is sitting in the bed super old. It was in the same exact bed that was at the end of uh, where old Dave is lying. And then Ferb shows up as a star child and says, happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> um, can I watch that show as a 20-year-old woman? Yes. Yes. Because it's yes. so clever. Like, no, it's, I mean, it's, it is a kid's show, but it is really clever. It's, yeah, that's awesome. I know that this is a completely off the off topic, but they do a zombie episode, which is top notch. Yeah. It is fantastic. Our kids, our love, kids, our kids, our kids love. love the zombie episode, and they quote it constantly. Yeah, they have <laughs> this whole game where they go and they touch each other, and they're like, "Lots of me," and then they touch yes. each other, and go, "Oh, lots of me." Not to take the focus away from from two thousand one. Anyway. Yes, it's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. It had to fit Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, it had to be in there somewhere. It had to be in there. Of this show. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee the Simpsons would come up every time if you had me on every every time. That's true. I That's true. I'm going to start yeah. watching more of it now. The, the, uh, foreshadowing for a future episode <laughs> that I've been watching more Simpsons lately. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to watch a lot more of it. I forgot how good it is. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, anything else we want to talk about with 2001 Space Odyssey? It's really good. It is. It is a. Mm-hmm. It is a deliberate slow burn. Yes. Oh um, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, obviously, everybody who wants to be a filmmaker has seen it at some point. Because I mean, it's oh, just yeah. such a. Like it's comics. such a. It's a. I saw. I saw someone online. It was like you've heard of like an actor's film or a, this is a filmmaker's film. Yeah. And just kind of the the loving detail that Kubrick put into every single scene is just um, a, is so blatantly apparent and so, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. absolutely. I was going to say, as far as influence goes, too, um, so the shots of, like, them walking around in their spaceship, like, there are shots where there'll be somebody going down a hall and then they'll get to the end of the hall and they'll start going up the wall. Um, and watching it, you're just like, how did they do that, Right. Um, I think a lot of it was rotating sets, which I don't think yeah. had really been done before that point, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and has influenced future films. Like Inception is the most like readily apparent one to me. Like with the it's the most scene. it's the most recent kind of one that didn't use CGI to uh-huh. accomplish the same thing. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, um, as far as just actual filmmaking techniques go, um, very like it was very influential. Also, the establishing shots mm-hmm. of. Uh, spaceships on the outside visually look very similar to Star Wars. So. Yep. The, when, they, <laughs> when they zoomed in on the on the space on the space station and mm-hmm. they went into the hangar, mm-hmm. you were like, "That's the same hangar from the, the use of Star Wars. It's yeah. got to be right." Yeah. And we couldn't we couldn't say yes or no either yeah. way. Probably should have looked it up. Eh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, well, I think that's gonna be it. Oh, sorry. Real quick recommendations. Watch it. Don't watch it. Andrew, what do you think? Um, know that it is that if you if you go to see movies like I do for the story, mm-hmm. know that you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> like if you're going for the story, like it, it, but that's I mean that's a little bit harsh because I mean the stuff with Hal Nine Thousand is really interesting. It's very compelling, yeah. But it's such it's it's less than an act of the film. Yep. Like most of it is. Um, uh, crazy great shots, artistic interpretation, all that kind of stuff. So if you're looking for like a tight, fun space thriller, you are looking in the absolute wrong place. Yep. Okay. Shannon, what do you think? Yeah. Um, so I was gonna, I didn't mention earlier that this is critically panned when it came out. A lot mm. of people did not like it, I think because it was slow. Well, Warner, Brothers <laughs> was, Warner Brothers was terrified it wasn't going to make any money. Yeah. Um, but it actually caught on with kind of hippies that era like going in for tripping out about everything anyway um but now it's gone from that kind of reception to it's on every list for greatest films of all time so obviously like if you care about film you should see it um what i was gonna say about this so i thought um have i ever seen tree of life Yes. It's like similarly a very weird, like there's not much plot. It's all about the shots and um, and it, it reminded me a lot of this film. But at the beginning of that movie, um, I watched it on DVD after it had been in the theaters. And it says at the very beginning, you need to turn your sound up. <laughs> you need to like pay attention. And this movie is all about the experience. And I felt very similarly with this one that like turn your sound up 
have it dark if you can, <laughs> like watch it on a bigger screen if possible, because it's all about the experience of watching, hearing it, seeing the visuals within it. Um, I really wish that they have re-released in theaters recently for the anniversary, and I wish I had thought to go. Because mm-hmm. um, if you can see it in a theater, I feel like that would have been the best experience for it. But I'm um, just like it's slow, but pay attention to it. And like, yeah, it's all about the experience of the film. So I just recommend, yeah, yeah. taking it seriously or something. <laughs> Don't be texting in the middle of it. Yeah. It's going to defeat the purpose of watching this. Yeah, I would definitely. Um, I would say, honestly, like, I'm glad that I've watched it just because now, like, I understood, like, the Phineas and Ferb episode, for instance, I knew that it was a, that it was a Space Odyssey, like, reference. Um, but after having seen it, I feel like I can appreciate those references a little bit more. So if that's what you're all about, then by all means, watch it. Um, if you just are wondering, like, what's up with all the, like, space fetuses that I see in things? <laughs> There's only one. Um, <laughs> There's only one. I mean, like, like in, in The Simpsons or in Phineas Oh, Star, whatever, okay. Like, what is up with all these references to a star fetus? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you're probably fine having seen, having listened to this episode. <laughs> so We covered it for you! Let yeah. me know. I, I will say, I, I'm actually very proud of myself because I, because during, when we watched the movie, I couldn't stop, I couldn't stop myself. But I haven't said it once until right now. But there is a very famous um, video game clip of Tim Curry yelling space at the top of his lungs. <laughs> um, and it's a full motion video that he did. And so every time that we talked about it, it was just, I'd be like, no, it's not just a space fetus. It's a space fetus. So, um, yeah. so yeah. incorporated that in more. <laughs> space! <laughs> yeah. Uh. But yeah, so I think that's it for us on this episode. Um, thanks for this is our year anniversary, so thank should you. Should we talk about things. like our favorite moments? Or we should have had a clip show or something. <laughs> Do you have a favorite show. episode? Or I have a favorite episode. <laughs> oh man, you know I we just barely released our two Hamilton episodes, and honestly, I love those episodes. Yay! I love Hamilton now. That makes um, me so happy. I also love that uh, maybe Lin Manuel Miranda is listening. Because we tweeted that oh him gosh. immediately after we got hit. I'm just gonna say that at the end of every episode now, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> you make my life so much better. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I. That's probably my favorite. I like <laughs> our shark one. Oh, our shark one. Was <laughs> Those are both recent. I yeah. saw the Meg. I didn't say that, and it was kind of disappointing. Oh. <laughs> Is the long and short of it. So now I feel okay that it wasn't entered into the shark list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that going to come up again? Because uh, I could do a yearly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see. Uh, cool. Thanks awesome. for listening, Andrew, do you have a favorite episode? Uh, the ones that I am on. Those are my, <laughs> those are those good are my favorites. The Marvel um, episodes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so many Marvel episodes. I actually really enjoyed being on your Justice League episode. Um... When we got to talk about the stupid, ju- the like really stupid Justice League things that have happened over the years, like, um, there were, I got to talk at length about Red Sun, um, where Batman is a uh, vigilante in the Soviet Union, 
um, which is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I think I resent that episode because I had to watch Superman, Batman versus Superman. <laughs> I hated every minute of Sorry, that. Well, buckle up because I haven't decided this yet, but I might wind up watching all the Batman films that have ever been made in the lead up to Aquaman and live tweeting them. I haven't decided if that's what I'm going to do. You're already going to be live tweeting so many things this fall. Can I come on your show and talk about how much I love Batman and Robin? Because <laughs> I do. I oh, yeah. So uh, yeah, absolutely. If you're watching Batman and Robin, the 97 one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The one that killed Batman for eight I, years? I love it so much. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, boy. Oh, it's uh, so good. Oh, boy. Well, speaking of your podcast, Andrew, how can people find you? Uh, <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Pop Pop Culture PD, on Facebook at Pop Pop Culture Pop. Um, no, just Pop Pop Culture. And then uh, email us at poppopculturepod at gmail.com. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Disenchanted. Well, when is this, is this episode coming out this week? Like, yes. Okay, yeah, we're going to be talking Disenchanted <laughs> and The Simpsons. Um, with Courtney, she's going to be on it for us. So we talked about this. Um, also, uh, I am going to be starting. So with uh, November have has a ton of franchise movies coming out. Um, so follow us on Twitter because I will be live tweeting all of the Rocky films and the Harry Potter films at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be starting probably at the end of September. Uh, starting with the Harry Potter films and then the Rocky films. Um, one day a week will be dedicated to Harry Potter, and the other day will be dedicated to Rocky. Yep. So, um, also while we have Andrew here, I don't think we've actually mentioned this on this podcast. Oh yeah, you we're doing this. Uh, we're doing another podcast with Andrew. We are. <laughs> called Approximate Heroes. We brought it up way before it actually got recorded. That's true. Yeah, we were expecting it would happen sooner than it did. But yeah, so we that is actually out. We have a few episodes that have been released. Um, where can people find that, Andrew? Um, so you can find that on CastBox. Um, it's called Approximate Heroes. You can follow us on Twitter for updates at Approximate Heroes. Um, find us on uh, Twitter, Gmail, and Facebook, all at Approximate Heroes. We're getting um, a new website for it. So we're getting a website, website, and then it'll also be on iTunes. We had some problems with the hosting. We thought we were going to get an RSS feed. We didn't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going to be getting that soon. Um, but it's on CastBox and other podcast players. I don't have... Um, I have a podcast player on my phone that's just called, like... I can't remember what it is. I don't have a an iPhone. It's just called Podcast Player, and it automatically uploads to that. Um, so if you have other podcast players other than iTunes, it's probably going to be on there. Yep. Cool. Um, and then, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at PC Footnotes. You can find us on Facebook, Pop Culture Footnotes. Um, you can email us suggestions for things that you want us to talk about um, at our email address, which is popculturefootnotes at gmail.com. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, you can also check us out on Castbox FM or Player FM, or most importantly, on our website, uh, popculture-footnotes.com. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, give us some give us some social media love. Listen, like, subscribe. I always forget what that saying is. Like, comment, and subscribe. Isn't it like, review, subscribe? All of it. comment. Do it all. Like, would do all the things. Like Like and subscribe. (laughs) Subscribe to us. Call me PP if you want to reach me. (laughs) Yes. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, oh boy. Yeah, so that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, join us next week. Andrew's coming back on, and we're going to be talking about one of his favorite subjects. <sighs> what is it, Andrew? It's The Simpsons. The my whole life, my life has literally been leading to that moment. <laughs> so if I drop dead after we're done recording it, 
Uh, Did Courtney tell you that I'm the one that originally said we should do The Simpsons at some point? And she said, oh my gosh, it's Andrew's favorite thing. (laughs) So, you're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. So join us next week for that, um, and we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.